right. uh, today's reading is 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. It can be found on page uh, 1123 of the Bible's next year's seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Can you hear me now? We're on? Okay. Should I start over from the very beginning? That's right. We'll just start with this. I don't know if you know this, but there's a story about a child who lost their parents. And there's actually many stories about this particular child. Um, it seems to be in, in a lot of our stories, and it usually begins with a parent with the parents dying on, in, on accident or, or on purpose, and that child is sent away to some other place. They're a ward, an orphan, and they're very aware of their loneliness. And this awareness is apparent, because what should fill the void of family is instead filled with the anti-family, or the lack of family. And in this story, it, it becomes apparent, because this, this child is aware that family exists, but it is just not here. Please, sir. I'd like some more, they might say, because the hunger is never satisfied. Or tomorrow, I'll love you tomorrow, they might sing, because although they don't feel love today, tomorrow love might show up. Or, in, in every orphan story, it's the, same, it's the same thing. Loss and longing and even more longing. But in these stories, orphans never stay orphans. Oliver Twist gets Mr. Brownlow. I actually had to look that one up. Um, <laughs> Annie gets her daddy Warbucks, I, I knew that one. And deep into the rainy, dark night, the door is rushed open and a large, hairy man is unveiled. Your wizard, Harry. <laughs> but what becomes most clear is, is this, this glaring question. After these orphans are no longer orphans, what happens next? Or maybe we can change this a little bit. What if you were inserted into a new family? What if you were pulled from your family now and you were placed into a new family? What would happen if you were a new brother or sister, son or daughter, uncle or aunt, nephew or niece? What, what would it look like? What would you do? And I know that this time of year is, is especially dangerous when talking um, about families. And perhaps this has been part of your story. It's been, you have had difficulty with, with family. Or maybe you feel like you are doing all of the, the, the right things and you can't quite have a family. It's either not there or family is, is fractured and unstable. Or maybe you feel a little bit off right now because it's harder to deal with the balance of work and family time and one seems to be slipping away from the other. Whatever it is, I want to lift those things, those things up. And I want us to, to, to recognize them because they are actual real things. But in light of where we find ourselves, if we are inserted into a new family, one thing is going to be clear. There would be new rules. There would probably be new traditions, new names, and probably almost new everything. And it almost seems like a tipping point or a gravitational pull within this passage. And we can see the full weight of God's story pulling you into a new family. But this group has shape. This family has some perks. It has traditions, and it even has some responsibility. But before anything else, let me tell you about this new family. In verse 9, we see that Peter writes, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. 
Now, there is an essential question that causes Peter to write this letter. He's asking, who are we? And this question threads itself throughout Acts and the rest of the, of the New Testament. In fact, it doesn't even start there. It starts at the very beginning. What does it mean to be a part of God's people? It turns out God's people has asked this question before in Egypt. Consider how they answered it. As the Israelites were enslaved and freed and then sent to wander through the desert, God reminds them that they are his people. They are different and they are founded on the tension of slavery a national identity that wraps into everything that they are. We might call this a, a nation, but we would actually be more apt to call it a family. And this family, the difference between being on the inside and the outside is to know that you are different. Before the Israelites were enslaved, now they are free. Before they are selfless, reckless, insecure, and now they are God's people. So if we fast forward to Peter, once again, we have the people of God are in a strange position. Now, if we look at this letter contextually, we're left with a couple choices about how to date it. Now, I know that that sounds really exciting, but it actually kind of matters. If we date it before 70 CE, this new Christian movement whose roots are found in a Jewish identity are being arrested by their family. And sometimes they're in prison. Sometimes they are killed, but most of the time they're treated horribly by non-Christians. But if we date it after 70 CE, this temple, this place of worship, which symbolizes the identity of Israel, is destroyed by the Romans. And not only are the Jews expelled from their land, their symbol of identity, but the Christians are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. They're left without their formal identity, and now they're trying to figure out who they are. And even then, they are arrested and killed at times because their faith is an affront to Caesar and the gods. I guess it doesn't really matter. Because either way, Peter is still asking this question, who are we? Now, to answer this, we might need to go back and recognize the, the most famous orphan story of our time. Yes, that is Harry Potter. So if you have read it, or you are reading it, I don't know who would be reading it right now, but if we can reset our minds back to that orphan, we might remember there's actually more than one important orphan in this story, Harry Potter and Tom Riddle otherwise known as the boy who lived and he who must not be named. Part of the intrigue of this story is the similarities and differences between these two characters. They overlap in ways that might make us feel uncomfortable. They share some of the same talents and tendencies, but the real difference between these two characters is reduced down to how they respond to this new world, this family, and the new responsibilities. What does it mean to be a wizard? What happens after your wizard, Harry? And there's nuance to this change, a subtle difference. And this is the Christian life, a pause between being, between being something, between not being something, and between being something. Now, perhaps you don't know about Harry Potter, and one of the first rules of public speaking is never alienate your audience. So I'm sorry. So let's look at this another way. I'll give you an example I know very little about. Let's talk about sports. Three words, one name. Peyton Williams Manning. He is known for being the savior of the Indianapolis Colts um, as their quarterback for many years and is now, at least I'm told, part of the Denver Broncos. My in-laws are here and they're from Colorado, so they know they're part of the Denver Broncos. <laughs> and you might know that Manning played against the Colts recently. We actually watched that game. Yes, I actually watched the football game. Um, and I, I, had this, I have this question. What if Manning, 
who used to be a Colts quarterback, went back to his former, former stadium where he set so many records and forgot which team he played for. What if he lined up behind the center of the Colts and asked for the ball? Can you imagine that? Everything about being in Indianapolis is telling Manning to play for the Colts. Years and years um, on this team, records set, memories created with teammates, with coaches, and with fans. Why not line up behind the Colts' offense? It's because Manning is a Bronco now, not a Colt. Which is confusing because they're both horses. <laughs> but, but this is the Christian life. Once you are a Colt and now you are a Bronco. Once you are not a part of a family and now you are a part of a family. Once you, have re- you did not receive mercy and now you receive mercy. A pause between nothing to something. Rejection to acceptance. If we stop and look at the statement, we can ask this very big question. What's with the comma? That comma, that pause, that antithetical statement is where we find the Christian life. It's where we learn what we have become and how we will never be the same. In other words, we can answer Peter's question of who are we? We are the people of the comma. This beautiful and wonderful news is that you are different, but it's not about being better. It's about the comfort of being known and cared for, a comfort of made available to everyone. It's to know that those who have received mercy should be well trained to give mercy. And so while the perk of, of the family of God is knowing that we belong and are different, the next thing we should consider is the responsibility. So we should tell others about the family. And Peter continues, One of the reasons that you are in the family of God is to proclaim the excellencies of him who, are called, who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. The excellencies proclaim out of marvelous, out of dark and into marvelous light. Heavy Christian words. So let's kind of push those away. One of the major factors of these orphan stories is only important if they share what it's like to be on the other side of that comma. Now that they are no longer orphans, what does it look like to not be an orphan? And it's only meaningful that Harry is a wizard if he is willing to proclaim these excellencies of what it's like to go from abandonment and rejection to belonging. If he makes sure that, that others can be treated just as well as he is treated now that he has this new family, now that he has new friends, now that he has professors that care for him. And what does this look like? Well, again, in Harry Potter... Your wizard evolves into muggles matter, Harry. Muggles. What is that word? A muggle is a non-wizard that, that for someone that has no magical ability and is seemingly unimportant. For Voldemort, who was once an orphan, he hated and despised these people because they were less than. And this culminates into the murdering of his own muggle father, And for our wizarding boy wonder, the opposite is true. Harry has a different interpretation of how he should respond to people that are different than him. These are the ones that you protect, the ones that are on the outside. For Voldemort, you belonged if you fit in. For Harry, knowing where he'd come from, he knew that lost is not an option. And the pursuit of living within that comma echoes throughout that story. 
One translation of this says, tell others about the difference between day and night. Tell others about the difference between day and night. And being in the family fulfills not only our belonging, but gives us the opportunity. And this is what it means to live in the comma. That it is unearned by merit, yet you're welcome. And the goal of moving from one side of the comma to the other is to understand, again, that lostness is not an option. But how? How do you live as though lostness is not an option when we ourselves feel lost? When we wake up at 5 a.m. every day to go to work, when we have kids that won't stop crying, when we have mountains of student debt, when there is so much death and terror, fear-mongering and refugees, when we've already had six political presidential debates and the election is still a year away. (laughs) Where's the time to include others and tell the difference about night and day when we don't feel the excellencies? It's impossible to know what Peter was was thinking when he was writing this letter, but perhaps we can conjecture. I like to think that when he got to this moment of you have received the mercy, he's thinking about that moment on the beach. After he promised to protect Jesus, he rejects him three times. I don't know him. I don't know who this person is. And then his friend and teacher is crucified and died. I cannot imagine the depth of that loneliness He could have felt, but then the resurrection happens. And Jesus and Peter sit on the beach, and Jesus brings him back into the fold. And he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? All right, I'm kind of getting tired of this, Jesus. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my flock. Feed my lamb. Follow me. Jesus brings Peter back into the fold, and Peter becomes a leader in this new family. In order to proclaim these excellencies, the goodness, the kindness, the love of God, in order to do all of that, it means we're going to have to do something very difficult. Use your words. Because you don't get movies without the action. You don't get jail without guilty. You don't have the civil rights without I have a dream. You don't have the snap of a football without a vocal cue. You don't have a prom date without the words, will you go to prom with me? That's free advice for you. And you don't get, you don't get, will you marry, you don't get married without I do. I'm sorry, that escalated really quickly. (laughs) But we have to use our words. So what words? What words will we use? What will you say? Well, I think if you pay attention to what you have received, you can give to others what you have been given. If you have received compassion, give compassion. If you have received patience, give patience. If you have been trapped in the sense of loneliness, find someone else and cure that loneliness. Keep your eyes open. Has a powerful and loving God noticed you? Has he offered you presence, friendship, forgiveness? It's human nature to ignore the wonderful things that are part of our lives, and to focus on the negatives. But there are parts of our lives that are beautiful. And this is especially true when we see them through the lens of the gospel. Now that doesn't make us arrogant or or closed-minded or bigoted. It makes us eager to show people and to make places around us less brutal and more beautiful. Pay attention. Notice. Reflect. 
Can you hear it? Join God's story because it's not over yet. At the very end of, of crime and punishment, when everything's said and done, the murder, the deceit, the stubbornness, the punishment is all over. When everything is said and done, the main character is released from prison and the narrator ends the story with this. That is the beginning of a new story. The story of the gradual renewal of a man. The story of his gradual, of his gradual regeneration of his passing from one world into another, of his initiation into a new, unknown life. Use your words. Proclaim, confess, sing, dance, play, work, all the things that you do. Drink beer, everything that you have. Know this, you were not a people, and now you are a people. You were lost, now you are found. You were a stranger, and now you are known. And now you belong to this family, to a good and kind father. You have been given some really good news this morning. You were once not a people, and now you are the people of the comma. Pray with me. We sit in our chairs this morning confessing to you, God. We stand in our feet and sing about your compassion and love. But the heaviness of Thanksgiving week weighs upon our hearts as lostness and loneliness pervades our fractured world. Hear us today. Give us the courage to step outside these walls and proclaim the mysteries of our faith and the joys of your gospel. We have been found, and you are our Abba Father. Amen.